Thank you for joining Downstate Abbey. It's a pleasure to spend some time with all of you who take time to tune in every week or multiple times a week. We have an incredible opportunity once again this week to hear from Michelle Eskenazi, also known as, tell us who you are, Queen. Oh, the Bail Bond Queen. <laughs> the Bail Bond Queen, yes. <laughs> um, and if you listen to last week's episode, it really was incredibly enlightening to me, and I'm sure it was to many of you, to hear from her perspective and with her insights on the various levels and layers of the bail and really the entire criminal justice system. So I know we were just scratching the surface of everything that Michelle has to offer as far as her insights and how she can break things down and explain things to those of us who are perhaps not well-versed in a lot of the legal language that's used in many of these reforms, but that's not enough of an excuse for us to really abdicate our responsibility to advocate for our communities, understand what these reforms entail, and push back against them when they're so glaringly wrong, as is the case with the bail reform, the COVID-19 jailbreak, and so many of these reforms, also known as deforms, deformities, that we see coming our way as communities. So, it really is imperative that we learn, that we listen, and that we really act on the knowledge and the information that comes our way. Um, I'm going to open up our time and attention to Michelle and allow for her to share with us some issues that are on her mind. I do want to open this segment um, just encouraging all of you to really try to obtain more information on these police reform plans that are coming our way. In fact, when I picked up our local paper here in upstate New York today. The headline is Fulton County Adopts Police Reform Plan. And there's a lot of layers, again, to these reform plans. And as with so many pieces of legislation, there's usually a good goal in the very origin of these reforms. And then somewhere along the way, they morph, they get hijacked, and they turn into something that's completely contrary to the original goal. And so that has absolutely been the case with the bail reform we're seeing here in New York. And I I'm, a, I'm sure we'll learn, but I'm a little bit suspicious that that's probably the case with many of these police reforms as well. So with no further ado, I will turn our time over to Michelle. And thank you for your time, Michelle. Welcome. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Certainly. And hello to the people of the Empire State that are still left here. Yeah, those of us left in the evil Empire State. <laughs> yeah. You're either going to fight or flight. It's one or the other. You got to pick one or the other at this point. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. unfortunately true. It so, is. Um, you know, touching on bail reform, bail reform is something that most of us know already happened, right? And when it happened, it hit really hard and, you know, criminal recidivists knew about it and they went out and they did their thing mm. um, time and time and time again. I just forwarded someone an article from January 20th about the bank robber that robbed a bank, I think, like five or six times. I was like, oh, there's nothing they can do to me. It's a nonviolent crime. I know I'm going to be out in five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that was something that when they crafted bail reform, they didn't really look at what is a recidivist. And a few weeks ago, you had to really like listen intently, but Governor Cuomo called for public safety reform. Um, and I'm not sure that's what he's concentrating on today. He probably might be a little not. distracted, right? Right. Yeah, he's probably a little distracted. <laughs> but um, yeah. But anyway, public safety reform is something that I gave a lot of thought to, and I started doing the forward 
um, with a lot of the victims' rights people here in New York in terms of what they would want to see, um, moms who have children that were murdered and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the consensus was that they wanted to make sure that people that commit crime for a living, habitual offenders, are viewed differently than people that somehow get arrested. Sure. And, of course, it makes a lot of sense. So um, what what I did was I helped craft the forward of that bill, and I'm happy to forward that to you, Abby. Yes, please. You to take a gander at. It's, it's nothing that's been numbered yet, but it is important. Um, and essentially what it will say, if it's even you know entertained by the Assembly and the Senate, would be if you're a person that has committed crime, against human victim or crime of moral turpitude three times in a calendar year that you will be subject to judicial discretion in terms of how your custody will be handled. Right now, a judge cannot look at what you did last week. They have to arraign you in an a la carte way. So if you mm, committed, let's say, I don't know, stalking, right? Um, you know, in January and then in February and then in March, you would be arraigned for each of those charges, but not the judge couldn't look at it in March and go, by God, you've done this three times already. Oh, we're noticing a pattern. This is of concern. Yeah. Unbelievable. Right. Like that's ridiculous. The, they, they're not allowed to do that. That power was taken away from them. They're only allowed to look at the actual arrest that's before them. Mm-mm-mm. Bad. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah, it's. I mean, does it just makes absolutely zero sense. Um, it is a way for them to continually make sure that the jails are empty, which you know, ironically, costs the state of New York money. Um, I don't know how they quantify human life. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, that that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah, they don't. I don't know how mathematically that comes into play, um, but. So I did pass this theory by some of my Republican friends, and they said, Michelle, why three times in a year? Why does someone get to commit a crime against a human three times in a year before a judge would get to look at their rap sheet? And I said, well, let's take a look at what we're dealing with in Albany. Um, And I think three times is probably, you know, what might even... You know, because when I mentioned it to one of my Democratic friends, he said to me, oh, you mean convicted, right? I said, no, 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 I mean arrested. Well, how are you going to classify someone? I said, because have you gotten arrested three times this year for, um, I don't know, raping an 83-year-old? Hmm. Yeah, there's that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, no. I said, well, then what, why would you be concerned? It has nothing to do with political ideology. It doesn't. And that's one thing that I'm trying to drive home to anyone who will listen. This is not a party politics issue. This is an issue of social conscience. It, it really it, it, it transcends anything that has anything to do with party politics. So, yes, please continue. <laughs> well, I mean, you would think that that would be the case scenario. You'd think. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think I might have told you last time. I mean, I didn't have any idea when I started this that. Um, you know, lobbying issues really doesn't have anything to do with right and wrong. 
which it, it, it just yeah, doesn't. Which is which is utterly terrifying. There's no doubt. And I and again, I want to believe that if the public had a better understanding of these policies instead of what they're spoon fed by the media, by these groups that put forth this legislation, I want to believe in my fellow human beings enough to think that people would be part of turning the tide here because this is a tsunami of of utter trauma, destruction on every level in our communities if we don't get this under control. I mean, it's utter insanity. It's absolute utter insanity. But yes, what, what you're proposing, please go ahead and continue to explain that to our listeners. I don't want to get sidetracked here. No, that's here. okay. You're, you're making a lot of sense. And, um, you know, so I thought, you know, it would be a great idea to classify what is a criminal recidivist. And that criminal recidivist can be either subject to um, mental health um, inpatient services, because a lot of the time people that are are criminal recidivists, they don't know the difference between right and wrong because they suffer from a lack of medication. When you release people from incarceration and you no longer give them their SSRIs, Mm -hmm. they become they go back into schizophrenia they go back into into their into their illness absolutely so they don't know really enough to know so the um public safety reform bill would be okay i'm the judge and i'm arraigning you you've committed three crimes against human victim i'm taking a look at your record i'm taking a look at everything that's before me and I am determining that you need to go into, I don't know, South Oaks for 72 hours for psychological evaluation. Right. So there's a cooling off period, not only for the offender, but for the victims. Right. Sure, absolutely. They get to at least know, right, that, oh, my God, you know, Juan Pepe is at least in jail. I can... I can take a breather and, and see where this thing goes. And then mm-hmm. the other thing would be for the addicted to go into drug rehabilitation. And if they had a private uh, piece of insurance, that in that 72-hour period, that there would be administrative staff that would help procure those inpatient services or if they were publicly funded by Medicaid, the same would have to happen. But again, Abby... It's a very expensive piece. Very expensive. It is. They'd rather have the addicts in the streets. (laughs) It does appear that way. And that's one thing about the bail reform that has come out time and again in discussing it is it's utterly cruel to the potential victims and past victims. That goes without saying. But it's, it's cruel as well to the people perpetrating crime who are not in their right minds, who have slipped through the cracks, who are off their meds for whatever reasons, who are in a mental health crisis or an addiction-driven crime spree. It's absolutely cruel to just throw them into the streets as though they're expendable. And part of me thinks that that's part of the grander scheme here is just, you know, it's basically the purge. It's basically, you know, the, the survival of the fittest and it's it's really disgraceful especially for a city such as new york in which you know de blasio's wife spent almost a billion dollars on supposed mental health initiatives that nobody seems to be able to point to and say 
that's something that <laughs> she created with, you know, NYC Thrive or Thrive NYC, whatever it's referred to as. So it's really, it's puzzling to me. And, and that is a big piece of it that people need to understand is this is not helping people with addictions. This is not helping people with mental illness at all. At all. And um, just to be clear, uh, de Blasio's wife, it was $1.8 billion. Oh, perfect. So the eight hundred fifty yeah. million is the figure that I've read in in news sources. But yeah, okay, great. Yeah, so double <laughs> double that and add some. And as Bill, Bill yeah. Pepitone said when he was on our show a couple weeks ago, when she was asked about it, her response was, "Haters gonna hate." <laughs> Like that, like that yeah. means anything not, to anyone. That's not a particularly shocking response from uh, the first lady of New York City. Yeah, so. apparently not. So this is yeah. the dilemma. So yeah, please uh, continue because it's it's a very complex problem we're facing. So the other uh, brand of human that commits crime time and time again um, is actually a criminal. So there's, let's say there's the mentally ill, Mm -hmm. there's the addicted, Mm -hmm. but then there's the actual criminals that are constantly, that are, let's say, gang members, right, that are constantly dealing narcotics on school property that have no, um, you know, no respect for the law whatsoever and that are are just committing crimes until they get caught, Mm -hmm. right? So that would be... In that case scenario, the judge could subject them and should subject them, and this is simply and only my opinion, but it's that of many others as well, should be subjecting that individual to a secured bail release. So the difference between much of what's going on today, which is publicly funded, taxpayer-funded release programs and secured bail is very, very different. So in a secured bail scenario, you have to have your family members involved. You have to place collateral. You have to, and the bail agent will monitor that that person with the family member in society until final disposition of the case. Hmm. And why that matters is because we as an industry, we have the power of arrest. So if your mom and you got little Johnny out of incarceration because He's a criminal recidivist, um, and now he's out on a $200,000 bond. And now you've found out, you've checked his phone, you've checked his computer, you found out that he's going to be committing other crimes or that he's involved in the use of narcotics, and you simply no longer want to be a party to his release. Mm -hmm. You have the right to surrender that bond. Interesting. Okay. And that would put me in play in a forthwith way, whereby I would seek out the offender um, place him under arrest and bring him back to the custody of the sheriff or the court. And that's simply not happening now because of these reforms. I mean, it's it's really breathtaking. On top of the fact that we have a state that loses track of parolees left, right, and sideways, it, it, it's unbelievable. It's just... I want somebody to, to shake me and say, Abby, it's a bad dream. It's really not this bad. But every time every time I talk to you, I realize it's, it's far worse than even I'm imagining. So so those safeguards have been completely eroded because of this bail reform. And th- those are very p- 
practical, well-intended safeguards. Like, I don't know how anyone can say that that's not a good thing to have accountability, to have the person who has a bend toward crime. And it might come as a shock to some, but some people are just plain evil. They have a bend toward creating as much chaos and causing as much harm. You know, they, they actually find delight in harming other human beings. And it's, it's just amazing to me that we are creating a culture in which those types of people have more rights than you, than me, than our children, than, you know, children in marginalized communities who have no, you know, a, the authority really looking out for them. And they're, they're just prime, prime targets for this sort of evil. So, feel free to carry on. I jump in there, but really you're the one that we want to hear from today. So, <laughs> No, I mean, that's quite all right. And, and what you're saying is absolutely correct. And it's, um, it's befuddling that legislators advocate on behalf of the arrested. Um, because not that the arrested or arrestees rather shouldn't have certain amount of, you know, civil rights and be treated fairly. Oh, and so course, on and so of forth. course. Of course they should. I mean, this is not a third world country. But the fact of the matter is not only are they advocating for them, but they over, I mean, it's just, it's, it's ad nauseum. So what this, what this particular uh, set of initiatives would face in terms of an absolute stonewall would be, wait a minute, you mean to tell me you want to punish someone for getting arrested well getting arrested is not being convicted and you're innocent until proven guilty and those are the talking points so what happens though in the state of new york is if you're arrested for a felony it it could take well about maybe a year two years for that case to come to disposition so in that time period, that in, that offender could continue to commit crime if something like this, in terms of a system of checks and balances, is not at play. And mm-hmm. all it really would do is just continue to increase the victim pool. Absolutely. And and we're seeing that play out time and time and time and time again. I, I'm going to bring our attention just to a case because I've mentioned I mentioned this whenever we started doing these podcasts, which how many months ago was that? I don't even know. It's been it's, it's been a minute. That's for sure. But there there was a case that just there's been many that have just shaken me. But one in particular, because no one has said this guy's name. You know, our governor certainly hasn't uttered the name Garrett Goble, but this man died an absolute hero. He was a conductor on a subway, and on March 27th, an individual intentionally started a fire on that subway, intending to incinerate all the passengers that piled onto that subway. And Garrett oh Goble, God. yeah, Garrett Goble made sure everybody got out alive, and he succumbed to the fire. And what what's horrifying to me is the fact that there was surveillance footage that clearly showed this gentleman, Nathaniel Avenger, who had been arrested and released for arson just days prior, showed this guy on surveillance footage. And now it it took until December 18th for him to get picked up. And he got picked up because he was basically... um, 
groping a female MTA employee. Now, these essential workers, these MTA employees, you know, they, they've been completely terrorized in all of this. Everybody's got a mask mm-hmm. on. Everybody's got mm-hmm. a mask on. You show up with box cutters, whatever. It, it's a nightmare for these people. So mm-hmm. fa- fast forward after Garrett Goebel's family, you know, buries him, a beautiful family. He left behind a wife, two sons, a community just broken. And he died as a direct result of Cuomo and his his disgusting administration's bail reform. Now, why? Why isn't the mainstream media telling us to be enraged about this? Because we should be. The fact that from March until December, Avenger, God only knows what he was up to. I mean, really, God only knows. You've got you've got masks on everybody. Right. This this was a, a, a perfect example of the utter failure of this, and that's just one of I mean, honestly, hundreds, if not probably thousands. The the right. reality is the crimes that are committed. What percentage of them actually make the news? Actually make it to the attention of the authorities? That's what's so troubling is that these these cases are such a small percentage of the victimization that's actually happening in our communities. And it's it's disgusting. And I, I cannot stand for it. And then we have a governor who does press conferences talking about, you know, the black community, you know, because he, he panders to labeling people by color. And he, he, he goes about acting as though he cares about these marginalized communities when they're literally being stalked. They're being terrorized by his policies. And I'm wondering what it's going to take for people in these communities to wake up and vote these assembly people out who are supporting this. It's not just Cuomo. It's all of them. So we have people, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm it's disgusting. I'm going to be honest with you, Abby. I don't really think that's going to happen yeah. in New York. Yeah, I, because, it's going to take a miracle. <laughs> you know, they control the narrative. Ugh. And they control the media. And the governor controls the assembly and the Senate. Like, I'll give you an example. When bail reform was floating around um, initially, before it got put into the budget on um in April of 19, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes. There were six Long Island senators. They were called the Long Island Six. They might still be called that. But one of them was, rel- two of them actually, were relatively new, three actually. But um, they, one of them in particular from Central Islip, Monica Martinez, she has a very bad neighborhood there. She has the MS-13. She's got, she's got tremendous issues there with crime. And we were up there and we were lobbying and she came out on the Senate floor and she was speaking to me and she said, Michelle, I just got off the phone with my district attorney. I am in no way voting for this. He has advised me that this would not be in the best interest of my district and of Suffolk County. Mm-hmm. And I, pro- I will not be voting for this. And I was shocked because here she's a first term senator. And I said, wow, that's just, you know, that's fantastic. That's, that's just wonderful. So guess what she did? Flipped. She voted for it. And that's because <laughs> allegedly or assumingly there was a call that said, hmm, do you like your political career? Hmm. And I would imagine her answer was, yes, sir. I like it very much. Thank you. Um, and then the, she was advised on how to vote. 
the same thing with Jim Gorin. So they voted party line. Jim Gorin is from an area in Long Island where a lot of very wealthy people live. Huntington, Dix Hills, Mutton Town area. And after he voted party line, and he's a former attorney himself, me and my colleague went to see him in his district office in Long Island and said, do you know what you did? Do you realize what you just did? And the answer was, well, you know, I, I don't I didn't really know that all of this was in there. You know, maybe maybe <laughs> okay. we could change it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. So the moral <laughs> of the story is the majority of these senators, they don't read what they're voting on, because especially the bail reform bill it was like nine cabillion pages. And it's given to them maybe a night or two before in their defense, right? And they kind of go with what their Senate leader tells them. Oh, we're voting yes on this. Oh, okay, we're all voting yes on this. You're voting? Well, um, yeah, we're all voting yes on this. So it's not like anybody kind of defies the political line in New York. Well, that's that's disgraceful, honestly, because I honestly don't know. It's it's not even excusable, honestly. Oh, I didn't read it. Well, guess what? We did. You know, we did. And we know what you signed. And it's disgraceful. It's absolutely disgraceful. And I'm so tired of these politicians not having the spine to say, you know, hey, no, I'm not going to vote because we haven't had a chance to read this. And, And you and I, you know, both know like that that reform you you literally have to be a lawyer to make sense of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have plenty of lawyers. I mean, you know, we have our, our own governor's a lawyer. Supposedly he made it through law school, I guess. And, you know, we have an attorney general. Like how people are not this stupid. They're not stupid mm-hmm. by any means. So how is this nonsense getting crammed through without... You know, and people don't have a leg to stand on. Well, I didn't read it. Well, you know, good for you. Now there's Pete. Tell Garrett Goebel's family that you didn't read it. Tell Sandra Wilson's family that you didn't read it. You know, she was the woman that got slashed to death on her job as a librarian um, security guard oh, by yes. yeah by a guy who got let oh, out. Yes. Yes. Frequent flyer sexually yes. assaulted a woman, a fellow patient in a hospital the guy is a sick ticket he had no business being let loose but that beautiful woman never went home to her family that night you know so really you you politicians that don't read things before you sign them that's not a good enough answer go to these families and 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 apologize to them beg at their feet for forgiveness for what you implemented really they they never will they They never never will will. they never will. will No, they're, 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 I honestly, I don't know how they go to church on Sundays, but here's, here's what they, you know, what they would say. Okay, that happened. (laughs) You tell me, how would they call it money bail, which obviously is a negative connotation and it's purposely done, but I'll, I'll just be them just for the sake of argument. Um, how would money bail have changed that outcome? You tell me. Well, for starters, I think the whole ten, the whole precept of bail should be reshaped so that there's certain certain levels of crime after we redefine, you know, violent and nonviolent, because that's a whole disaster in and of itself. But certain crimes are not eligible for money bail, regardless if somebody can cough up half a million or they can't, period. 
You rape a child, guess what? You're you're not we're not going to endanger the community and let you loose on the off chance that you may or may not commit such a crime again. Period. Start there. You want to level the playing field? Start there. Start leveling it in such a way that people with financial resources don't have an advantage over those that don't. But stop looking at people through a lens of how much financial resource they have. Start looking at it through the lens of the victim and the level of crime that's been perpetrated on them. Let's start there. That, you know, that, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, but I would say start there. I mean, it's definitely a reasonable explanation, what you're saying. But, you know, the fact of the matter is in any good government, right, there's a system of checks and balances and we have different branches of government, right? So the executive branch and the legislative branch should never usurp the judicial branch. Mm-hmm. And essentially that is what happened with bail reform. Yeah. Um, the magistrates association was not taken um, into consideration. And what they did was they tied the hands of the judges with legislation. So the reason why you didn't hear about so much of this yesteryear mm-hmm. is because a judge in Ontario County, New York, If you were the guy that is constantly stealing from Joe's sweater shop, okay, and Joe's sweater shop is not Walmart. He's just a single one-off guy, right? And you're constantly getting arrested. Well, you know, that judge in Ontario is going to subject you to bail. And that's because even though bail is not designed to be punitive in nature, He's going to send you a message. You commit crime in this community. um, It's going to it's going to ill affect you, just like it's ill affecting the victim Mm -hmm. in a certain way. Sure. And the one thing I can say to you about the state of New York, which is inherently archaic, (laughs) is that New York state is one of, I think, four states in the entire United States that does not allow for a judge to take the dangerousness of the individual um, into um, advisement upon arraignment. We do not have that in our arraignment process. And the big question would be why? It's a crooked little letter, as your grandma would say, but why? <laughs> um, that's funny that you remember that. Um, it, it's because um, it's. I don't think it's liberal enough. I don't think that, that the... This, the state of New York thought thinks it's liberal enough because then you could say that black and brown people are dangerous. Um, listen, you know, the fact of the matter is um, more people today than in, when I grew up in, in the 70s and the 80s, more people are addicted to narcotics. More people are dangerous. More people do suffer from mental illness and Absolutely. have SSRI issues. Absolutely. Um, Um, And to not address that population is to the great detriment of society here in New York. And so many have noticed it um, that the affluent who were kind of insulated from this disgusting criminal behavior in the past, when the Upper East Side moms, when they went out to their summer homes this summer in the Hamptons, a vast majority of them stayed there. They didn't even come back to the city. Mm-hmm. So, and, and many, many are leaving as we can work remotely. Their husbands can work remotely from the Carolinas. 
Um, you know, people want law and order in communities because people want public safety. It's reasonable to pay taxes in a community that you live in, you choose to domicile in, and want a certain amount of public safety. My 20-year-old daughter, before this pandemic hit, would go with her friends on the Long Island Railroad, and they would go to Manhattan for the day. They would dawdle around whatever they would do, lunch, maybe a show, whatever they would do, the museums, whatever. And then she'd keep in touch, and then they'd all come home as a group at a reasonable time. And, of course, I worried, but I wasn't, you know, riddled with fear. Um, now, there's no way she's going. There's no way is my kid going to Manhattan unless she's going with armed bodyguards. Yeah, it's disgraceful what it's turned into. And I think that we're really being run by these elitist, out-of-touch creeps who have no clue. They don't see the, the, I mean, really, like, come walk in my world. I live upstate, and I can walk you through communities that, honest to God, it looks like the walking dead. You know, kid, it looks like third world kids walking through the streets, ragamuffin. I, I mean, I have kids come into, you know, the center that I run. You know, it's middle of winter, slush, ice, and they've got somebody's way too big, grubby looking house slippers on. And this all points to the bigger problem, which is this enormous epidemic of addiction, mental illness, and how anyone can think that this is closing in getting smaller shrinking down as time they're delusional they're like what world do they live in that they can even think that we're not facing an enormous mental health crisis an enormous addiction crisis what world do these people in live in that they can pass legislation like this and think that it's anything in the way of progress i don't get it i don't get it well, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but I think that you're giving them too much credit in terms of um, what world do they live in and what world, what do they think about? Because I don't think that they do think. This is a paid political agenda. Um, and in terms of what world they live in, they live in Cuomo's world. Hmm. So what he says... Andy goes, Land. I call it Andy Land. And that's where they live. Yep. That's what they're told. They do what they're told. So you told. have to check your conscience at the door to step into Andy Land. <laughs> Literally. There's there's really no other explanation because the vast majority of people that serve in the Assembly and in the Senate are parents. Yeah. It defies all human logic. Andrea Stewart Cousins. Why hasn't she said something? You know, mother, grandmother. Like, really? You're going to let this fly? And especially her constituent base. These people are reaching out and it's falling on deaf ears. It's falling on deaf ears. I talk to people all the time, and they're like, they, they don't care. Our, our representatives just don't care. So who yeah. has who has to get killed? Who has to bury a child before this starts to matter? I'm asking because I know a lot of people who've had to bury loved ones because of this horrible policy and many others. Who, who's, who's important enough that, you know, it'll get the attention? Like, really? Because it's... I, I cannot wrap my head around this, Michelle. I cannot, no. other than acknowledging that it is just plain, pure evil playing out, hijacking, you know, our, our laws, and what's it going to take to stop it? 
Well, I, it's not going to stop because um, George Soros is a multi-billionaire and these are his agendas. So it's not just bail. I think I said it the last time. It's yes. the entire upending of the criminal justice system as we know it. I mean, if you take a look in L.A. right now, you have a district attorney by the name of Gascon who's refusing to prosecute, refusing to ask for bail, um, you know, just he's like he's like the antichrist. So I just feel like if you're going to sign up to be a coroner, you actually have a, a really yucky job. If you're a sanitation guy, you have a job that not everybody wants. Same thing with correction officers. If you're a prosecutor, your job is to prosecute. It's not to be a social justice warrior. That maybe is more for the defense side. But Soros and his multi-quadrillion dollar nonprofit have infiltrated all of the criminal justice system. So it's not something that's really going to stop. I, I just, I don't know that there is an end to it. And that's terrifying, truly, because really, what does society turn into when the criminals have, you know, we could so easily be run by drug cartels the way these people that are fleeing to our country are. I mean, it's, it is in the foreseeable future that the drug gangs run the show. The only people that are safe are the ones who have paid security guards. I mean, it's really, it's getting to that point. And I don't know what it is going to take for people to open their eyes to it. And honestly, it is disproportionately affecting communities of color. For everyone that, that wants to categorize crime by color and whatever the case may be, I tend to look at humanity as a whole, and I, I guess that makes me a racist, apparently. But when you really look at the communities that are disproportionately impacted by this, where are the voices that you would expect to hear crying out? Because it's deafeningly silent, deafeningly silent. It's, you know, they do a little press conference and then, you know, and then the media shuts it off. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the media. It's very controlled. Um, it's controlled at very high levels. I mean, if listen, I'm not anybody could look me up and see that I was definitely not going to be voting for Biden. Sure. Uh, and and that has not so much to do with my politics. It has to do with you know, law and order. I'm a very big law and order person. Yeah. So I just, I'm very blue and I didn't, I, I know that, I know what their policies are. So I wasn't, you know, thinking that that was the best idea for my grandchildren. Sure. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is that this, these sort of sorts of initiatives come all from all the way up there, Right. If you look at the, what I think it's called the Open Society, George Soros' Open Something Society, um, you'll see what I mean. It's just so well-funded. So how does one stop that? You know, you're not dealing with hundreds of thousands. You're dealing with hundreds of millions. Right. Yeah, it's a Goliath. There's no doubt it's a Goliath. And it's, it's an absolute, it's such a tragedy really to watch so much that was so hard fought for in a matter of you know years a handful of years so much can just be gone and, and by that I mean 
you know, so much progress has been made with regard to women's rights. And, and we're literally handing over the safety of women, the safety of our communities, and willingly by people who are telling us that we're championing for women's rights, and they're literally stabbing us in the back. They're literally stabbing us in the back because they're putting violent perps right back out into our communities. You know, the victims of domestic violence right now, so many of them no one's hearing a peep out of because— they're basically intimidated to a point of just shut up because if the guy gets arrested, he's going to get put right back out with an appearance ticket. So it's it defies all human logic. And I know today I, I wanted to give you time to speak on some of these reforms that are, are coming our way. And I, I know we get talking and the time just flies by for me. But could you share with our listeners um, some of the reforms and maybe pick apart a little bit of the language so that people can have a better understanding of what these deforms, as you would call them, will entail? You're referring to bail reform? Well, criminal justice reform in in general. I know I had shared with you uh, Justice Roadmap 2021. I know something mm-hmm. that is, you know, implicit bias is something that we're, some key terms that we're seeing come our way. Oh, yeah. So I, I, if you yep. can. Yes. They have, they have a newfangled reform called fines and fees reform. Mm, tell me more. So, yeah, so essentially this one, when you're um, convicted of a crime, uh, misdemeanor or felonious, at the end of the case, you will be given some sort of punitive number from the court. And a lot of it is, okay, $50 goes to crimes victims assistance, $100 to this, and you know, $200 to that, you know, and it adds up, you know, there's a certain amount of fines and court fees and things like that. I mean, they're not absorbent, but obviously they fund the court system and then a a good portion of it goes back to crime victims. Well, there's a whole new initiative in this reform package to completely remove fines and fees because it is apparently racist against black and brown people to, um, you know, render fines and fees. From the court. Interesting. Okay, so what what are we doing to dissuade crime on any level, or is that basically the the grand scheme here is to <laughs> allow there to be total anarchy? Because really, like everything's hurting everyone's feelings. I I can't be fined. I mean, listen, I have I have a ticket right now. I need to take care of. I'm going to be fined for it. Whatever. I, I I did. I was driving too fast. Whatever. It is what it is. I mean, it's part of. It's part of, but it's going to make me think twice about driving. It's going to make me probably think about putting my cruise control on. I mean, the whole point is to encourage people to make better choices and in so doing fund, you know, really valuable programs in the process, keep our courts alive and kicking. So again, is this just dismantling further of our justice system? Because it sounds like it to me. That's really what it is. I mean, and that's definitely the end goal. The end goal is to really just change, you know, our criminal justice system completely. And, um, you know, fines and fees reform is on the top. If you see the justice roadmap, um, I believe that it was actually thing one, end wealth extraction and invest in our communities. (laughs) Um, achieve justice. Now, (laughs) the fact of the matter is that they're saying that people who are 25 or younger should 
not um, should be eligible as a youthful offender status. Oh, stop. <laughs> I mean, they if you go to the South Bronx, you'll see 14 and 15 year olds on the corner dealing drugs. So I don't know where, and they're in gangs in Chicago, everywhere. So I'm not sure where they get this 25 year old um, age from, you know, finally by raising the age of juvenile delinquency from seven to 12 years old, (laughs) New York can end criminal punishment of elementary school children. Okay. Um, There's that they're working on that diligently um, and they're also working to protect the dignity and opportunity of incarcerated people. So they no longer want incarcerated people to work. They want people to have in-person visits. Um, they want incarcerated people to go to whichever jail they want. Like if, they, if they're a man and they say, I'm a woman, they get to go to the woman's jail. Because nothing bad could possibly happen from that whole scenario playing out <laughs> right um they uh-huh. want to decarcerate the jails and prisons and end perpetual punishment so when i testified and i gave testimony to the u.s commission on civil rights the lead uh, professor that gave testimony said on the first day of someone's caging they're at a 40 percent ratio of being psychologically damaged caging that's yeah a cool word. on the second day of caging they're at a 50 percent ratio and so on and so forth that mm. caging is just archaic and should not be you know what we're doing in the united states of america so there's your answer abby no more caging. No more caging, even if it prevents women from being raped or prevents children from being forced into sex acts and child pornography. Yeah, caging, bad idea. Hmm, okay, got it. Well, a part of this reform, too, is holding law enforcement personally responsible, like you know, your house can be on the line. Everything you own can be mm-hmm. on the line as a law enforcement mm-hmm. officer if anything goes sideways during any right. sort of contact with a criminal. And as I've said before, I, if we're going to entertain that, which I'm all about equality, I'm all about fairness, I'm all about transparency, I'm all about that. But we really need to apply that level of accountability to these legal professionals who are fighting for people who commit crimes to be re-released into the community. So if they cause harm, then fine. You are personally, as the, the person that fought and administered justice and, and pushed, you you are personally reliable should that person, A, kill another human being, B, burn down a building, whatever. You know, if we want equality, then let's, let's, let's dish out equality. Same with these judges, these political hack judges. You let somebody loose that causes harm again, you are personally going to pay the damages of that crime to the family, to the community, whatever the case may be. Let's make equality happen, people, right? Because this is so one-sided and perverted, it's absolutely stunning. It's, it really is stunning that, that any of this reform has gotten to the point that it's it's gotten, that we're over a year into this. You've got the likes of Carl Heastie, who apparently he still supports the reform and thinks that there should have been no rollbacks, even though the rollbacks were ridiculously 
small in the grand scheme of things. Like, right. you know, but apparently Carl Heasty thinks bail reform is exactly fine as it is. And I wondered if he'd have the spine to tell Garrett Goebel's family that or Sandra Wilson's family that or Amaya Hicks, teenage girl right before right around Christmas time got slashed wide open across the abdomen on a street, unprovoked attack by a guy who had been part of killing a 60-year-old man on the street prior, got released on a dollar bail. This was even before bail reform went into effect, got re-arrested for assault, released, and then ends up almost, almost killing this teenage girl, literally almost killing her. How she survived is miraculous. Multiple surgeries, her life, her body will never be the same. And her mother, Tanisha Smith, is quoted as saying, I cannot believe that they would release him. He's in our community as we speak, like how how is this even possible? So, where's the where where does she get her airtime? Where does that mother and daughter where do they get their airtime? Is Oprah uh, you know is Oprah gonna interview them? Is anybody gonna interview them? Because no, no, really, no. this is no. what is being done. This is what is being done, and and people aren't are oh well. This is progress. We don't we yeah, don't well, wanna. It's not gonna happen. Um, you know my my ladies that are the the crime victims moms. They call, I have one lady, Madeline Brame, she calls mm-hmm. the, the speaker's office once a week, mm-hmm. leaves a message. <laughs> she actually lives in her district, um, and she's maybe for over a year has not gotten a call back. I, so, I'm still waiting for a call back, too. I was hoping that. <laughs> yeah, so she, she, doesn't, she doesn't get a call back. Mm. So, um, listen, it's, it's just not going to happen. So I, I really honestly... I hate to sound like the grim reaper of criminal justice, but guess what? It is what it is. If people, the only way to change this, and I know people say this all the time, sounds a little bit cliche, but the only way to change this is to change who you're voting for. Yeah. Like, do you know, like, who voted for this? Oh, that person voted for this? Okay, I'm not going to vote for them. Like, take a chance on someone else. Like, Donald Trump said not that many things that were smart, but he did say one thing. He said to the black community, what do you have to lose? Mm. You've lost everything already. You don't even have a community. Like, and you know what? I thought that that was, that was right because people don't know enough about politics to really, especially in impoverished communities, they just kind of go, oh, well, look, there's a, there's a person running, and that person is, is black or Latina, so I'm going to vote for that person because that person looks like me. Yeah. You know, so and unfortunately, that's just the only way to do it is at the ballot box. Yeah. And how, how do you convince an entire body of voters that they're literally being sold out by the very people that they're voting for? I mean, literally, like what what a slap in the face. You know, it's it, it's really unthinkable that people can be sold out in such a, a gross manner that it's going to affect their life, their children's lives. And it's as though they, they don't see it yet for what it is. They truly don't see it for what it is. And uh, I really hope and pray that people's eyes can open to the fact that they are being exploited. They are being sold out by the very people that they're putting into office who can say the right things. You know, they can, they can pull people together when there needs to be a march or a demonstration of some sort. But when the actual policy making takes shape, they're selling these families out. They're selling these people out. And it's disgusting. 
It's truly disgusting. So, um, you know, as always, I really appreciate our time together. I know I always feel like I'm just scratching the surface with with the knowledge that you have. And I really appreciate you taking the time to to inform our listeners because plain English and the, uh, your ability to break things down so that people understand is really it's a gift. And it's it's absolutely absolutely one of the most powerful forces on the planet this knowledge and power that you bring forth so thank you for that and in our our last few minutes if you have any message that you'd like to leave our listeners with or any direction to you know different websites or things that can help inform them even more please feel free to do so well i mean the only thing that i would encourage all of your listeners to do is to really just pick up the phone and i said this the last time we were together yes just to just try to pick up the phone and try to get these people on the phone mm-hmm. um you know, I, I don't really know how to advise them anymore the only thing that i could say to you is that elections are coming up soon again mm-hmm. vote the other way yeah <laughs> whoever whoever you voted for Find out if the person that's in your in your local assembly district and your local Senate district voted for this sort of um, craziness. And if they did and you don't like it, then don't vote for them again. But if you do like it, okay, that's your option. But if you don't like it, which the majority of us mothers don't, mm. um, then don't vote for them again. It doesn't matter what the political line is of the other person that's running, because a lot of the time the person that's running on the other political ticket just does that to just kind of like get on the ballot, if you will. Yeah. So if that person voted for what you don't like, vote for the other person. What do you have to lose? Yeah. What do you have to lose? As the great Missy Elliott said, flip it and reverse it. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah, you know. But seriously, I I guess people having people truly understand what these policies really are, how they flesh out in real life, you know, real loss of human life is what I I just hope and pray people can understand and look beyond the party politics, look behind the veil of blue or red and just see the, the collective conscience that we really need to be paying attention to because this is the undoing of society as we know it if it plays out to its its end it's truly something that i i I just can't sit by and watch it's entirely too too evil for lack of a better word but i appreciate your time michelle as always thank you for all the work you do i know you work tirelessly on on so much to advocate for victims and bring you know the beauty of law and order into into the limelight as it should be so thank you i truly hope we'll have opportunity to talk again and thank you for your time so and thank you for everything you do abby thanks a million it's an honor thank you so much bye-bye so yes, all of you listening, it's there's there's days I could just cry honestly because it's like man, where does this end? I I cannot believe we're living in a day and age with with the technology that we have, with so many hard won gains in civil rights, and we're literally talking about being run by a, a bunch of a bunch of degenerates who who really and truly put pen to paper and outlined crimes completely despicable crimes against humanity and suggest and more than suggest promote and force the tolerance of these crimes it's 
unspeakable. I mean, it really, I can't even put words to it. I, I cannot put words to how bad these reforms are, especially when it does nothing to truly advocate for marginalized communities, to advocate for incarcerated, to, to really implement the kind of co- accountability that is necessary for the cycles of abuse, neglect, poverty, trauma to stop, for the chains to be broken. And I truly pray that People will be brought into positions of authority that can change this because we are seeing a modern day slave trade that really and truly has the master being addiction and, you know, the drug culture, the crime culture. And we're seeing entire communities just completely at the mercy of criminals. And these reforms are perpetuating it. They are. They truly are. Well-intended, perhaps, but they have been hijacked and communities are suffering because of it. So I really thank each and every one of you for tuning in today. I want to encourage you to take part in this Saturday, the 13th, in front of the Capitol the cancel Cuomo rally. I realize that Cuomo is not the beginning or end of the dysfunction that we see happening in our state, but he's definitely a kingpin. And I think that we, the people, need to make our voice heard, make the voice of those who are silent and cannot advocate for themselves. We need those voices to be heard as well. We need to magnify those voices, amplify the message that we will not tolerate injustice. We will not we will not tolerate crime just destroying our communities. And for those of us who live in areas that are relatively crime-free and comfortable, you know what, good for us. But so many people are not in that place of privilege of being able to live in, you know, rural areas or areas where there's space and peace and we're not going to sleep, you know, with the sound of gunshots firing. And it's really a luxury that we have to appreciate and realize that not everyone is afforded that luxury. There are downstate communities, especially that are honestly they're they're war zones they truly are war zones and they're war zones because of horrible horrible leadership that is accountable to no one answers to no one and does not take the message that so many people are trying to bring to heart the message that safety matters children are being targeted there's a worldwide human trafficking web that is alive and well right in our communities and these These policies actually enable that sort of human trafficking. They truly do. So please get involved. Please inform people because truly knowledge is power. And so often people really don't understand what these reforms are. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't take my time investment lightly. I, I don't take my investment of energy lightly. I would not be pushing for this and advocating for this if it wasn't something that my conscience just cannot escape. I'm not a big fan of wasting time on nonsense. I'm not. I mean, many of you, you don't know me personally, but I'm telling you right now, I don't get behind it unless it's really worthwhile. And I don't sit in front of a microphone every week trying to get this message across for anything other than the love of my state and the people of it, the love of, you know, humanity. And it's it's so heartbreaking that there's children growing up in these crime-ridden areas and the people that should be advocating for them are not. We we are a broken, broken culture, and it's going to be up to you and it's going to be up to me to rebuild it in a way that protects our most vulnerable, truly honors humanity, promotes equality, and sees each and every person as a brother and sister worthy of protecting, worthy of honoring. And I truly pray to that end every day. Do something amazing today. Please keep in touch.